This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the first episode of the Hepatology Knowledge into Practice podcast, in which we'll discuss the latest evidence in hepatology with leading experts in the field. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who have had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. In this first series, we'll be exploring non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH, and in this episode, we'll examine the pathophysiology of NASH and how it arises. We'll first review what current literature says about this, and then we'll be joined by today's expert, Dr. Zobair Yunossi. NASH is an advanced form of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, or NAFLD, which means elevated liver fat content, or steatosis, in the absence of heavy alcohol use. There's currently some debate around the best way to define and refer to this condition. In 2020, a panel of experts proposed changing the name to Metabolic Dysfunction-Associated Fatty Liver Disease, or MAFLD, to better define the condition by our current understanding of its links with metabolic disease. As there is not yet a consensus on adoption of this definition, we'll refer to the condition as NAFLD. The defining feature of NAFLD, steatosis, represents an imbalance in the influx and synthesis of lipids in the liver versus disposal for which the most obvious change is elevated triglyceride, which is produced when free fatty acids entering the liver are esterified and stored there. The current understanding of this process was detailed in a 2019 review by Marget and colleagues, but in summary, there are three main sources of free fatty acids contributing to this. The majority is from circulating free fatty acids, which are mainly generated through lipolysis of fat cells. The process of lipolysis is elevated in the presence of insulin resistance through dysfunction of adipose tissue. The second major source of free fatty acids is those generated from non-lipid precursors such as dietary sugars through de novo lipogenesis, which is thought to be elevated three and a half fold in patients with NAFLD. Finally, there's a small contribution of free fatty acids from the diet. This leads to excessive accumulation of lipids in liver cells causing them to balloon. This steatosis in itself has a very low risk of adverse outcomes and is generally asymptomatic. However, around 20% of individuals with NAFLD progress to NASH, in which steatosis causes cellular damage leading to fibrosis. This is governed by mechanisms thought to include inflammation, caused by multiple toxic insults on the liver, such as elevated free fatty acids, insulin resistance, gut-derived endotoxins, and dysfunction of adipose tissue. This means that pro-inflammatory cytokines are released, leading to a pro-inflammatory state. Other mechanisms thought to be implicated include mitochondrial dysfunction in response to the increased lipid burden, activation of specific bile acid receptors, and possibly increased total bile acids, as well as changes in the gut microbiome. NASH in turn drives insulin resistance, resulting in a vicious cycle of increased lipolysis and adipose dysfunction. This can further progress to fibrosis and cirrhosis, as well as a significantly increased risk of cancer, including hepatocellular carcinoma. One retrospective cohort study by Sarah Wild and colleagues showed that patients with NAFLD and type 2 diabetes were more than 19 times more likely to develop HCC, and more than six times more likely to die from HCC compared to people without liver disease. Furthermore, NASH is an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease, 
and people with advanced NAFLD are around four times more likely to suffer a fatal cardiovascular event, according to Marget and colleagues' review. So, what are the key challenges around understanding the pathophysiology of NASH in a clinical context? Today we're joined by Dr. Zobair Yunossi, who's Professor and Chairman of the Department of Medicine at Inova Fairfax Hospital and President of Medicine Services at Inova Health System in Falls Church, Virginia in the United States. He's focused much of his career as a hepatologist in the research of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and his disclosures are available in the episode notes, where you can also find links to the references discussed today. So I'd like to start by talking about how we define fatty liver disease. So you were part of the international panel that in 2020 suggested that MAFLD might be a more appropriate definition to replace the term NAFLD. Could you explain the nuances between these definitions and how they relate to our understanding of the disease? So fatty liver disease is sort of a large uh, umbrella term that includes all types of fatty liver disease, what it's related to metabolic diseases such as type 2 diabetes or visceral obesity, as well as uh, uh, alcoholic fatty liver disease uh, or other types of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And then, of course, some genetic diseases uh, that could uh, manifest itself as fatty liver and ultimately also some medication that can uh, cause fatty liver disease. The term non-alcoholic fatty liver disease was coined in the 1990s as an umbrella term that included everything from just non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, which is actually a histologic diagnosis, to just really simple fatty liver, which does not make the definition, the histologic definition of steatohepatitis. It also wanted to exclude alcohol. So this is really really why you have this negative term, non-alcoholic. Now, for the past uh, 25 to 30 years, that term has actually uh, become uh, uh, sort of ingrained in the literature and also in industry and regulatory sort of bodies and also how we educate all stakeholders from patients to providers to, to pharmaceutical companies and, and, and diagnostic companies uh, and even WHO and others. Now, um, the term non-alcoholic fatty liver disease was not a perfect term. Um, the attempt was to, uh, to uh, change this to something that, that, that will uh, that will uh, uh, define the risk factors for this disease, which is really metabolic uh, diseases. Now, unfortunately, the, def- the definition of metabolic or MAFLD, metabolic associated fat liver disease, is not also a perfect term. It is a term that, that then it excludes a lot of other types of fat liver disease that is uh, not metabolic related. Now, um, the, 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 the key challenge there is not what we call this disease. Uh, it, when you look at the two diseases, and we have looked at this with large databases, when you look at the characteristic of patients, there is a huge overlap between mafaldi and nafaldi, meaning that they're probably the same diseases for most parts. The progression is probably the same for most parts. What is a challenge right now here is that you have a disease that is underappreciated, underrecognized, but still has this, this, this challenge of having drug and diagnostic developed for it. To, in order to actually meet those challenges, we need to basically, you know, of course use the appropriate terminology, but not confuse the field. By introducing a new term like MAFLD, uh, we are actually going to confuse the field even more 
with providers. I'm not talking about hepatologists. Hepatologists could distinguish it too. I'm talking about where the patients with this disease is seen mostly. They, they are seen in the primary care physician offices and the endocrinology offices, those who take care of diabetes. That change in term without good explanation and good consensus and good communication of that consensus will cause trouble. The second part of it, of course, is that patients now know, will not know what disease they have because you know they were told they have one disease and now suddenly it's a different disease. Third, probably the most important is that we have been terribly challenged with developing drugs for this, for this disease. Both the the US regulatory body and European regulatory body, as well as other country Asian regulatory bodies actually have accepted NASH as a terminology, improvement of fibrosis and resolution of NASH as, 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 a, as a sort of endpoint. In order for us to now change this whole thing, we have to get knowledge of NAFLD and NASH, by the way, which means that we're going to now put another really big monkey wrench into this whole field of drug development. So although I was in the discussion part of this, this, this uh, quote unquote consensus panel, that was really not a proper consensus panel to really look at all the pros and all the cons. What has happened since is that the, the uh, uh, societies, at least the, what some of the journals like Hepatology and others have actually decided to put a moratorium on the use of the, the new definition of MAPLD and continue to get all the experts from around the world, from all walk, walks of life, including patient representative providers and others to come together for, from, from AACD to EASL, to APOSL, to the, to the uh, South American sort of, uh, of society, pathology societies, for everyone to come together, go through the process that will take almost a year to come up with a true consensus of what the name should be what are the pros and cons, and how do we then communicate that as a unified uh, uh, sort of uh, group of hepatologists to the rest of the world. We are in the middle of all of this. ESA and ASLD have taken the lead on that, and they're actually coming together to come with the terminology. I would respectfully suggest to my colleagues to wait until this consensus, consensus is finished and really then decide what is the proper way of moving this field forward. So now if we move on to talk about how steatosis in NAFLD progresses to NASH, what do we know about what's driving this? So it's important to remember that NAFLD is an umbrella term that includes NASH. So NAFLD doesn't progress to NASH. It's really just NAFLD that includes NASH as a part of the spectrum of liver diseases. So, but, but when you look at, say, U.S. population, over a quarter of the population have NAFLD with an, you know, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, but only about three to 6% of general population probably has non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. hepatitis. Why this distinction is important? Well, it's because when you're looking at progression from a liver standpoint, it's really the, the, the predominant type of NAFLD that can progress is the NASH subtype of NAFLD. About 15% of these patients can progress. The progression is not linear. And it, it, so some patients would progress for a period of time and sometimes they become stable or regress. This actually makes this disease very, very complicated because uh, you, you, can't, you, you, have, you can see very high placebo rate in the clinical trials because of this spontaneous regression of some uh, patients with, with non-alcoholic hepatitis. Nevertheless, it is because of the sheer numbers. There's so many patients with NASH 
that can develop cirrhosis, liver cancer, and other complications that is already becoming a number one indication for liver transplantation in women in the United States, and the second indication for liver transplantation in general in the United States, and among the top causes of liver cancer in the United States and the rest of the world. In fact, when you look at global burden of disease studies that we have performed, the burden of this disease is going to outpace any other liver diseases throughout the world. In any region of the world, when you look at this, it's actually going up, especially in some regions like Middle East and, and, and North Africa, the region that we call MENA region. Uh, um, it, it is really uh, exploding, but it's exploding all over the world just because of the sheer numbers that we're dealing with. So do we have any more insight that we've had in recent years about how the pathophysiology progresses to NASH? So uh, unfortunately, this is the other part of the complication of this disease because it's not really, it's, I really don't believe it's a single disease. It's probably, a, it has probably a number of different pathogenic pathways that manifest itself as fatty liver. For example, uh, the vast majority of patients uh, will have insulin resistance as the basis of this disease. Now, what causes for fat accumulation in the liver to become, uh, you know, to have, to have evidence of, 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 of liver cell damage, which is when you call it CL hepatitis, to progression, which is, you know, initially is just the degree of scarring of the liver or fibrosis, and then ultimately cirrhosis. There could be multiple different pathways. For some patients, it could be, you know, some enhanced oxidative stress that is, that is happening for whatever reason, either um, from environmental, dietary, or, uh, or lifestyle sort of uh, reasons, or because of genetic predisposition. For other patients, it may be related to dysbiosis of the gut or, or microbiome in the gut. In uh, other patients, it may be related entirely to the imbalance between adipokines and cytokines that are secreted but by the visceral adipose tissue, which is an endocrine organ and it secretes a lot of different adipokines and cytokines. So, and in fact, in one individual, multiple pathways may be, may, be, um, uh, may be active. And this may be why it's so hard to find a single drug that could actually uh, uh, target one of these areas. So it's a complex sort of pathway. Uh, but if you want to really go after where I think where the money is, we have to really sort of target what is the main culprit for most patients with sort of this traditional NAFLD or NASH, which is insulin resistance and visceral obesity. That's where whether we could do this through diet and exercise, through medication, or through any other intervention. Ultimately, I believe that that's going to be the best approach to this. It may be the first approach, but it is the best approach. And then, of course, for some patients, we have to add other type of uh, uh, medication or drug regimens that can help. We know that NASH is associated with poor outcomes. What do we know about how the pathophysiology relates to how these outcomes arise? So, of course, when, when, I, when I talked about outcomes here, it was primarily about liver-related outcomes, those that are you know, related to cirrhosis, et cetera. But, but in fact, the number one cause of death among patients with, with uh, uh, fatty liver disease is uh, cardiovascular. And when you look at the umbrella of cardiovascular disease, you have not, not only cardi cardiac, you know, coronary artery disease or vascular disease, but you also have in a sort of cardiomyopathy, uh, left uh, uh, ventricular dysfunction, which is also part of this, this disease. People also can have atrial fibrillation, so there are lots of this diseases. So cardiac is one. Another one that I think is very important to remember is that, that these patients are at risk 
for non-hepatic cancers. So these are cancers that are solid cancers like colon cancer or other type of solid cancer that these patients are at risk for in the long run. One um, other uh, uh, disease that's been really under uh, emphasized is what we call sarcopenia, which is basically uh, uh, a disease of the muscle that these patients are gonna be at very high risk for. And, and, and not only is sarcopenia is more uh, common in patients with fatty liver disease, but it's also associated with poor prognosis, meaning that if you have sarcopenia and fatty liver disease, mortality is higher, overall mortality is higher. So uh, having these other manifestations, the quote unquote extra hepatic manifestation associated with NAFLD are very common. Of course, there are a number of other, other diseases that, that relates to, for example, chronic kidney diseases, more common in these patients. There, uh, you know, there probably some suggestion that dementia may be higher in these patients. It's not very solid there, the data, but there are a number of other sort of uh, diseases that are that are that are more common in these patients. But we have to remember is that they all share the same pathogenic sort of uh, uh, basis that, that they're all probably in some way or fashion uh, connected back to metabolic abnormality and visceral obesity. And finally, what challenges do you expect to see in this field in the coming years? You know, when you look in the next 10 years, the most uh, uh, important challenges could be categorized in different sort of, you know, groups. Uh, to me, one of the most important challenges is disease if lack of awareness about this disease among patients, providers, especially primary care physicians or internists, endocrinologists, cardiologists, and other subspecialists. Not only there, but also uh, uh, among uh, uh, policymakers and, and others who would ultimately decide how, how uh, sort of funding should be allocated for different chronic diseases. That is a major challenge that we need to feel. The second challenge is that we need to have an easy, cost-effective way to identify those patients who are at highest risk. Remember, when you're talking about 25% of a general population in the United States with NAFLD, a very small proportion of them can actually progress to bad outcomes. And of course, because of the numbers, that number is very high. We need to find sort of this needle in the haystack of who is at risk for progressing and to, to have bad liver outcome or cardiac outcome or other outcomes. This can should be done with development of validated non-invasive tests. The, the, the third part, of course, is that once we have this, then we have to develop tailored treatment of one or multiple drugs. And the treatment here is not going to be just, you know, one year or six months of treatment. This is a metabolic condition like diabetes. You have to feed these patients probably lifelong or at least maintain them if there is some improvement. And finally, what we need to understand is that what is the a non-clinical impact of this disease. For example, quality of life of these patients are terrible, and that actually affects work productivity, which ultimately also probably affect negative, indirectly affect economics. Economics also is gonna have a major, major importance here because disease with sheer burden of this, and what you do not only is gonna have the indirect impact, but also direct impact of taking care of very large, large patients. So we need to understand sort of the humanistic part and the economic part of this disease better. In summary, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is a spectrum of liver disease of which an advanced form is non-alcoholic steatohepatitis or NASH, which is thought may arise through several different pathways. People with NASH are at increased risk of cardiovascular events and several cancers. And key challenges highlighted by Professor Yunossi include a lack of awareness among healthcare professionals and policymakers, the need for screening people at risk and effective treatment strategies, 
as well as the economic impact of reduced productivity due to poor quality of life. This concludes today's episode. We'll be back in a few weeks' time for the next episode on NASH when we'll look at its association with type 2 diabetes and obesity. So do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be the first to hear it. To claim CME credit for this podcast and find other free resources in hepatology, go to our website, hepatology.knowledgeinterpractice.com.